0: Good morning. Uh, We're going to start this sermon uh, by watching a video together. If you're watching on Facebook, uh, click the YouTube link, and you might be able to get there um, and see the video that we're going to watch. It's about a minute long. I want to say something to set it up. Um, And this, if the if the ad agency for Audi is right, and I believe that it is right, then the world and even our very hearts. Are under a spell. Um, let's see what Audi means by that. I'm gonna go ahead and push play. I've been told to desire a red Italian sports car. I've been told beige and predictable fit my lifestyle. We've been told holler status symbols are the goal. I've been told this is the way to retire. I've been told it captures my essence. And the neighbors will be jealous. So, after watching this commercial, um, let me ask you a question: What do you get for the guy who's got everything? And what do you get for a society that has everything but is depleted? How does How does Audi answer? <laughs> get an Audi. That's it. Just Just get another hollow status symbol. That That'll do it, right? <laughs> That's what we need to break the spell. And this is a clever ad, I think. And instead of, you know, taking it from Audi, let's look at how Jesus answers the question: "What do you get for the guy who's got everything?" Mark ten, verses seventeen through twenty-two. And as he Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man wrote, ran. A man ran up and knelt before him and asked him. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. looking at him, loved him, and said to him, You lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your Sabbath rest. We ask that you would give us, give that to us this morning, that you would give us rest from the things that we cherish, the things that we hold dear more than you, the things that have depleted us. Give us good news and transform us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Jesus is packing up his things for a trip. He travels light. He has no home. Most of his family uh, is still skeptical of him. He has no land. He has no camels or livestock. Likely all he has is the clothes on his back, some food, some water. But again, he is getting ready for a trip. And this is no ordinary trip for any human. Uh, The text actually calls it a journey. You see, there's a turn here in the life of Jesus. Jesus is getting ready for his journey to Jerusalem. And, and he has warned his followers, and he's about to warn them one more time that he is going to Jerusalem to die. Jesus has nothing, and he is on his way to his death. And there's been a buzz throughout the region about Jesus. People have heard him claim to be, and people have seen him do things that would suggest that he is the coming Messiah, the King of Israel, sent by God, come to make all things right for Israel and establish his throne forever. So as he's getting ready to head out, a, a, a rich young man comes running to Jesus. He's running. We, we can speculate what motivated him to run, but one thing is clear. He didn't want to be late and miss Jesus. We don't know much about the rich young ruler. What I think is safe to assume based on the other gospel accounts and, and our own context is that He is the guy that every dad wants his daughter to marry. He is. I mean, seriously. None of us would really want the poor Jesus for our daughters. Everyone wants the rich young ruler, right? He's likely handsome, has stock options. He's already setting up his retirement account. He's a prominent leader in the community. He hasn't slept around. He reads the Bible. He surely prays. He goes to worship. He keeps the Sabbath. He's not a liar. He doesn't steal. And he is a great son continually, apparently according to him, continually honoring his father and mother. And yet, something seems to be missing. You get the picture we have in this scenario, a man who had everything running to and kneeling before Jesus, who had nothing, whose mind was set towards death on a Roman cross. And so likely out of breath, the question he brings to Jesus, good rabbi, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I would be willing to bet that this guy has read the the whole Old Testament, probably has much of it memorized, he knows that in the beginning, Adam and Eve took fruit of the tree that brought death, the sin that brought our spell on all of creation. This man has surely read this and probably even memorized that through Abraham's offspring, God would lift the spell, establish his covenant with his people forever, and that through David's offspring, one would rise who would establish God's throne forever, eternally. He also knows that Israel was pummeled by Nebuchadnezzar and sent into exile in Babylon. So, running to Jesus, kneeling before him with this question, I think this rich young ruler, Jewish ruler, he is saying, Look, good teacher, I believe you were the one who was going to bring us out of exile completely. But how can I be a part of this eternal kingdom? How can I be a part of it? What must I do to be a part of when Israel's God becomes king forever and conquers all our enemies. This rich young ruler has it all, but he wants more. So what do you get the guy who's got everything? The response, the response from Jesus is a it's a bit surprising. He says, "Good teacher, why do you call me good? No one no one is good but God alone. I Jesus, when he, when he responds this way, he's priming us and, and priming the rich young ruler. It's like he's saying to the rich young ruler, you call my teaching good and true. You know that only good and true teaching comes from God. So if you call my teaching good, listen to it because it has the authority of God. You better own that because what I'm about to say to you is very, very hard. In fact, it is going to be impossible. It's like he's primed for something huge. So, in response to the man's question, What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus lists seven out of the ten commandments that God gave to Moses. But curiously, he leaves out two very important commandments. The rich young ruler responds, Rabbi, I've kept all these. I've kept all these commandments from my youth. What else must I do? As if to say he still needs more. Jesus' next comment is also a bit surprising, I think. I mean, I see, I, we want Jesus to squabble with the man, convince him that he hasn't kept all the commandments perfectly, show the man that he's a sinner that needs grace. I mean, come on, Jesus, you're blowing it. Do you need evangelism training, Jesus? But it says Jesus looked at him. All Jesus had to do was look at him to see that he was rich. He was probably a striking contrast to all those around him. I mean, the, the image I had in my mind uh, is like Elon Musk running across the Walnut Street Walking Bridge and kneeling before a homeless guy, asking him questions about eternal life. It's kind of what I had in my mind this week as I thought about this. So Jesus looks this rich young ruler up and down, and the text tells us that Jesus loves him. This is such. This is this is such good stuff. If you're like me, I would venture to guess that most of us read this story and think, yeah, Jesus, stick it to the rich guy. (laughs) Um, But he loves the rich man. He loves him. And so because he loves him, he pierces right inside the man's heart where the spell really looks. And he says to the man, here is what you lack. Here is the more you are after. Jesus then gives him those two commandments that he left out. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. You see, I think by saying sell all your stuff and follow me, Jesus is saying, I am what is missing. Jesus is insinuating that those first two commandments belong to him. He was claiming to be the king of the universe, declaring you shall have no other gods before me. Jesus is claiming to be the one who wrote the law. Jesus is claiming to be the one who rescued the people out of Egypt, out of slavery. And when he gave them the 10 commandments, he declared, look, because I have rescued you out of slavery here, here is life. Obey these commands, worship and serve me only and get rid of the idols that own you and leave you depleted. So to the rich young ruler, Jesus says, you shall have no other gods Worship me only. In other words, sell all your stuff, give to the poor, and follow me. Jesus, I mean, did he really mean this? Did he? Surely not. Surely he didn't mean sell all of his stuff, right? I mean, this was just a teaching moment, wasn't it? Why would he say such an outrageous thing? He's never asked someone to do this before. Why does Jesus tell him to forsake his stuff and give it to the poor? This is important. This this next part is very important. Remember, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He's not simply asking the rich young ruler to sell all his stuff in order to start a commune. He is telling him what it will cost to follow God and what he is doing in the world. At this point, Jesus had told his followers, look, the Roman government is going to kill me. The Jewish leaders are going to kill me. And by the way, you are going to betray me. And after I die, the the government is going to come after you too. This is the context of our story. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to die. I think he was checking to see if the rich young ruler was serious about following him. He was letting him know the cost of entering his kingdom. And Jesus was anticipating what actually did happen to his followers after he was crucified. This stuff actually happened. His followers were all Jewish people. And if you remember, Jewish leaders were saying Jesus was a trickster leading Jewish people astray. So by following Jesus, they would be shunned and cut off cut off by their families. Also, if you read first and second century history, you know that anyone who followed Jesus would be, be, would be thought of as one who opposed Caesar and would be fed to lions. And so they had to sell everything they had. They gave themselves up for the sake of each other, and for the sake of telling others the good news of eternal life that Jesus was raised from the dead and that death has ended. They gave everything up for this. So you see, this is why the cost of following Jesus was too much for the rich young ruler to bear. He had to give up his idols. To give up his stuff and follow Jesus was to give up his life. It's such a sad moment. It's it's like watching a character you're pulling for on a TV show that you just can't shake an addiction and just keeps going back to her stash. The audience is able to see what could be if if the character could just let it go. But she can't. We should all feel this because we all have our stashes. We all have things that would just kill us. Michael Scott, Uh, if you haven't seen the show, The Office, Steve Carell played Michael Scott, who is the boss in The Office. we quickly discover that Michael is desperate for people to like him and to think he is funny. He constantly seeks the approval of those who are below him. And there is one scene where his right-hand man named Dwight comes into his office. Dwight has his, he's got his own issues that day, but he's sitting next to Michael and he declares this, Nothing stresses me out except having to seek the approval of my inferiors. And this is Michael's response. (laughs) Oh, yes. As if to say, this is at the very core of my being. This is what defines me. This is my stash, and it leaves me depleted, longing for more, but I cannot give it up. My life revolves around Michael Scott was defined by the approval of his employees. The rich young ruler was defined by his perfection and his possessions instead of Jesus. Does your lack of money or your debt or the possibility of losing everything you have worked for make you grind your teeth and keep you up at night? It does me. But really... This is just a lack of control, security, and convenience, significance. Security and control and convenience are just that deceptive, aren't they? Security, control, and convenience cast a spell that is hard to detect and is nearly impossible to undo. They cast a spell that keeps us from having to trust Jesus, to rely upon him, and we, and we keep coming back to our stash, but all it is is depleting capital. Do you see the trouble that we are in here? Do you see the trouble you are in? As one pastor put it, people have to see the trouble they are in. People have to see how dangerous it is to continue living out of the depleting capital they have. Whether that capital is financial resources, or health, or love, or control, or security, do you see how dangerous it is to live with depleting capital? Do you see the trouble? It's never enough. Um, That's just it. One of my favorite musicians, David Wilcox, puts it this way in a song called Never Enough. He says, one man cruising on his ocean liner, one trying to keep his life boat afloat. One man trying to make his mansion finer, one trying to make his house trailer note. You give a guy a dollar in the parking lot and he holds his hand out for what else you've got because there's never enough. No, there's never enough. I mean, even when I've got everything I need, I can tell myself times are tough because there's never enough. Do you see that this is true? Even when I have everything, there's never enough. So what do we do about this? In our story, Jesus claimed the first two commandments for himself. If you want to be a part of what God is doing in the world to lift the spell, then follow me, he says, get rid of your idols and serve the poor, commandment, commandment number two, and follow me only, commandment number one. But Jesus doesn't leave us there. Uh, we would all be hopeless and, and we would all go away sad if Jesus left us there. He doesn't just say, get rid of your idols, stop defining yourself by the jeans you wear, your friend group. He doesn't just leave us there. You see, he did carry out his journey to the cross. He what? He was another rich young ruler who went from the glories of heaven all the way to Jerusalem. Jesus was the one who had everything. Jesus laid aside being face to face with the Father. Why? Because you are Jesus' great treasure. I think this is what was nagging the rich young ruler to make him sprint to Jesus. The stash wasn't enough because it's never enough. And whether he knew it or not, he longed to be face to face with the one who made us. This, this is eternal life. As Jesus prayed, recorded in the gospel of John, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Oh, that we would just know Jesus. This is eternal life because Jesus gave up everything, gave up his glory with the Father, gave up his life. He perfectly obeyed all the commandments. He did the Father's will by willingly, willingly staying on the cross. And through his resurrection, he lifts the power of the spell so that we can leave our stashes. So what do you give the guy who's got everything? You give him freedom. You give him freedom freedom from bondage to idols, freedom from the spell of our depleting capital, security, comfort, convenience, and significance. Where do we find this freedom? Where do we find Jesus? He says, let go of your stash and follow me to the cross. I think this is all too acute right now. Um, tornadoes are devastating, have devastated people's lives. It is It is an understatement to say it's so sad. Imagine, and so many people have talked, they've said just how much self-isolation from COVID-19 has transformed their way of life, in in good ways a lot of times. So many people I see are talking about the things that they are doing differently now, and, and they're asking, how are we going to be different in a new world? when we've experienced so much loss. All I've I've been thinking all week is, I can't imagine right now what people are going through who have lost their job and their house. I mean, what what would I do? My control, security, significant possessions, just gone. Breathe and rebuild, I, I don't know. But I got to a message with Matt Theory yesterday. Um, If you don't know Matt, he is an employee of Sand Snow, and his house was destroyed in a tornado. Um, I watched a video online of their experience. and uh, You've probably seen it in our weekly emails. We've been praying for this family, and the Snows said that I should just reach out to Matt directly about everything. And so I asked him, this. How in the world are you right now? How are you dealing with this? How are you possibly dealing with all of this? Is it drawing you closer to Jesus? Pushing you further away? Are you even processing these things right now? And I was shaken by his response. Shaken to tears. Uh, Matt said, this is absolutely drawing me closer to Jesus. He is all we have left. House money, routine, my work, my life, all of it is fleeting. We were spared from losing our children. I don't even know how I would process losing someone. I, I can't go there. I can't even speak into that. But I have cried almost every day over the fear of what could have happened. My, my wife reminded, that, reminded me that there is no if with God, no what if. God has been blessing us in a way that I cannot understand both financially and with community. It is humbling and changed my heart about where my value is. I have held my hands up and acknowledged that I am his. He brought us through this so that we have nothing to worry about moving forward. <sighs> That's Matt theory. And the difference between Matt and the rich young ruler The theories have lost so much, but they aren't going away sad. Matt is certainly rebuilding on the first two commandments. Follow me, says Jesus. Let go of your depleting capital, says Jesus. Serve the poor around you in the midst of all this uncertainty now and in the coming months and years. What will it look like for us to let go of our depleting capital and follow Jesus? And what does it look like to serve one another? in the midst of such great loss. What is so jarring about our story today is that what has happened to Matt, (laughs) it's exactly what Jesus asked the rich young ruler to do, but he asked him to do it voluntarily. Lose everything, serve the poor, and follow me. Voluntarily. Voluntarily. Why? That's the way to the kingdom. Why? Because the spell has to be lifted. How? Jesus gave up more than you can comprehend voluntarily. He entered into a world of tornadoes and viruses, and he was ripped apart by mankind. That's our Creator. And he completely lifted our spell by defeating death. That's our Creator. What do you get the guy who has everything? The one who lost everything. The one who lost everything. Looks at the wealthy, and he looks at the poor, and he loves, and he offers us freedom. Don't go away sad. Take it. Take freedom and follow Jesus. That's our creator. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. For bringing us out of darkness and into light. Out of slavery to sin. Out of slavery to our idols. Out of slavery to our stashes. And into the light of your home. Our home is in Christ. Help us to embrace that. Help us to unite to Jesus. Help us to change us. Help us to transform into his image so that we might shine with your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus.